So today, church, I'd like to begin with a question. How many of you did the, the Sermon on the Mount homework that I, that I challenged you with last Sunday? Don't put your hands up because I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. <laughs> so if you're a guest with us today, last Sunday in my sermon, um, I gave three things to the congregation. The first thing that I gave was a deep dive into the context of the Sermon on the Mount. We, we answered the question of who and where and what and why. And, and, and I, I pray that it was a lot of helpful information so that when we read the Sermon on the Mount and we interact with it, we engage with it, it means so much more to us than just casually reading it like we so often do. Because when you become familiar with the passage of Scripture, it, you kind of just gloss right over it. And what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is too important to gloss over. I mean, there's some really hard words there that, that we often read and, and say, oh, that might apply to someone else. <laughs> and, uh, and so the context to me was so important. So that's the first thing I gave. The second thing I gave was homework, right? You were supposed to listen to the Sermon on the Mount, read it. You're supposed to digest it, study it, memorize portions of it, and then apply it into your life. And, and, and that's how we grasp the Word of God, right? You do all of that. And then the third thing I gave was just one point. <laughs> and um, that one point was to make the Sermon on the Mount the foundation of your life, just as Jesus said for us to do in Matthew chapter 7. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a, a man building a house on solid rock, right? The winds came, uh, the rains came, the winds blew, and that house stood firm. And, and, and that's the, the takeaway from last Sunday. And so I, I want you to know today that uh, I, I try never to, to ask people to do anything that I myself am not going to do, right? That's just hypocrisy. <laughs> so today, I want you to know I have spent the past week in the Sermon on the Mount, listening to it, reading it, wrestling with it. And I did my homework. And today, as I begin the sermon, I want to share with you what God has just shown me so powerfully and beautifully. And this message that I'm going to share with you confirms, it confirms, church, all that we have been talking about since we began our journey with Jesus from Advent to Easter. The focus of so much of what I've been talking about is making sure that we have a healthy and a strong Christology because the Christology that we have really informs us about who Jesus is and how we engage and interact with the fullness of understanding who Jesus is. And so we began in, in, in Advent, in, in December, looking at Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so as I have shared, what does that mean, Jesus is Savior and, and Messiah and Lord and, and, and just do a nice deep dive so that we can understand these different aspects of who Jesus is and how that plays into each of our lives. And that's so important because 
Many people, when you ask them, who do you believe in? They'll say, Jesus. And what is Jesus to you? And you know what almost everybody says? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Isn't that what you would say? Who is Jesus to you? You would say, he's my Lord and Savior. I said this last week, I think. <laughs> I've said it many times. I, I, sometimes I, I like to watch UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And anybody else likes to watch that? Am I the only one? Thank you, I see those hands. We should get together the next time and, and watch it. <laughs> and so, so often, right, at the end of a fight, after one guy demolishes the other person, and they do the interview, and, and what is the first thing? I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for helping me destroy this fellow. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. But what that shows to me is that not everybody understands exactly what Jesus as Lord means. And just because we call Jesus Lord, does that make him Lord? It's a really difficult question. And today, after reading from the Sermon on the Mount, I, I, I had this, this hard teaching that I, that I want to share with you. And, and I've asked John Payton, John, would you come to, to help read this passage of Scripture? Would you open your hearts to hear the Word of God today? From, uh, from Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, and in your name lead children's quizzing? <laughs> then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil demons. Thank you, George. <laughs> there really should be in Scripture an ouch right there. Oh, wow. Did you guys come across this passage doing your homework in the Sermon on the Mount? Because it's right there. I read that and I said the same thing. So I was like, oh, what a, what a challenging word for us today. Again, church, it is vital that we have a strong and a rich and a deep Christology because of this, this passage right here. That Jesus says, you know, there's going to be people who call me Lord, Lord, and still not enter the kingdom of heaven. What? How does that happen? It's because some people have a very shallow Christology. That all i got to do is call Jesus Lord, and guess what? I get to, get, to, get, get to go to heaven. Well, that's not how it works. That's why your Christology matters so much. So people will call Jesus, He's my Lord and Savior. But if you don't live your life with Jesus being Lord, then He's really not Lord. And so, that's what we're dealing with right here, right? People will call Jesus Lord, but in reality, he's not Lord. Either because, again, they have a, a poor and a shallow Christology, an understanding of who and what it means to make Jesus Lord, or they have pledged their allegiance to something else 
and have made something else the Lord of their lives and maybe just say that Jesus is Lord. And either way, it doesn't work. And that's why we need a strong and a healthy Christology to do what it takes to truly make Jesus the Lord of our lives. And this is why it's so important. Because whoever it is, or whatever it is, that we make the Lord of our lives determines so much about our lives. Because whatever it is that that we allow to become the Lord of our lives will shape the narrative and the story of who we are. Not only will it shape the narrative and the story of who we are, it, it will determine the values of our lives, the things that take the highest priority Whoever or whatever it is that we make the Lord of our lives, we will make that a high priority in our lives. Maybe the highest priority in our lives. And as a result of that, it will shape our values. What are the values that we live for in this world today? Our culture is trying to steal the values of Jesus. And, and, and make their values the most important thing to us. But if Jesus is Lord of your life, then we cannot accept the values of the world as ours and make that the most important thing. The values of Jesus need to be the most important things in our lives. So not only does, does whoever we decide to make Lord of our lives shape the narrative of our lives, not only does it... Does it does it give value to us and we accept the values of that? We, we bear fruit for whatever it is that we call the Lord of our lives. And it will show in our lives. And then the last thing that Jesus says is that it shapes and determines our eternity. So if Jesus is truly Lord, if Jesus is truly Lord of our lives, His story will be our story. Our lives will be found in the center of these, the pages of the Word of God. We will, we will find our life right here. This is Jesus' story, and our lives will be in the center of it. If Jesus is truly Lord of our lives, then the values that are found in this book will be our values. We will embrace it We will love it and it will give life to us. That's what it looks like when Jesus is Lord. the, The story of Jesus becomes our story. The values of Jesus becomes our values. And then we bear fruit. And the fruit that we bear will benefit something. And if Jesus is Lord, it will benefit the kingdom of God. Fruit that will last for the kingdom of God. And then, (laughs) it shapes and determines our eternity. When Jesus is Lord, this is what we will hear him say. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom. But on the flip side, church, if we allow anything else anything else besides Jesus 
to take the place of Him as Lord of our lives, the very same thing happens with dramatically different outcomes. When anything else besides Jesus is Lord, whatever we decide to make Lord becomes our story. And that becomes who we are. We tell that story and we live that story of our lives. And because we do that, it shapes our values. And I will tell you that the values of whatever you make, if it's not Jesus, will not be the values that are found in the Word of God. And that's how you can easily tell who your Lord is. Because we take on the values of whatever we decide to make Lord of our lives. And then the fruit of our lives will, will be shown clearly for what it is. Whatever you, you value, you will bear fruit to that. And is that fruit that benefits the kingdom of God? Probably not, if it's Jesus and not your Lord. And then it will shape your eternity. Because if you have anything other than Jesus as Lord of your life, then Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, I'll just quote Jesus. Those are not my words. Jesus says this, I never knew you. Go away from me, evildoer. Wow! <laughs> Reading this was challenging, church, for me. And, and, I, and I only share it with you because I want to emphasize how important what we've been talking about since Advent, about Christology. And you go, what is Christology? It's the theology that we form about who Jesus is and how we relate to him and how important it is. Because some people will call Jesus Lord, Lord, and not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus says. And it won't be us. Because here at Mission Church, my prayer is that we will all come to the place in our lives where we don't just say that Jesus is Lord, but we truly live our lives in a way that makes Him Lord. That His story is my story and His values are my values and the fruit of my life brings honor and glory to the kingdom of God. And when we are done with all that we get to do in this world, when we enter into heaven, we will hear Jesus say those words that we long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that's why we need to get it right now. Right? To get it right. For Jesus to be Lord. What does it take? Well, I will tell you from what I read in my Bible, it takes us being his disciples. Right? We are called to be disciples of Jesus because disciples of Jesus are called to follow Jesus. To learn from Jesus so that they become, so that they can become more and more like Jesus. Because when you become more and more like Jesus, the story of Jesus becomes my story. The values of Jesus becomes my values. You see, disciples, they emulate the one that disciples them. And that's what we want to be, disciples of Jesus, which makes him our Lord. We want to be, and we 
also want to make disciples of Jesus right here at Mission Church because we want to follow Jesus to become more like him and that's the goal, the complete goal of discipleship. When you go through discipleship, the end product is that my life looks more like Jesus every single day because I'm in the process of becoming more and more like him. But I want you to know that there is a problem, right? This problem has existed in the church since the days of Jesus. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. It exists in this church. And it exists in every single church in North America. It exists in the church that I pastored in Hawaii for 20 years. It existed in my church when I was a youth growing up. It's everywhere. This problem that I'm about to share with you that, I, that, that, is, that has to deal with discipleship. I'll share a quote with you that just identifies the problem and nails it right on the head. It's from a book. I was going to bring it, but I'll share the quote up here with you. By a general superintendent in our church, Dr. David Graves. And in the book that he wrote, Way, Truth, and Life, Discipleship as a Journey of Grace, this is what he says. It's up here. I'll read it for you, but read along with me. Fundamentally, the fact that so many people in our churches are Christians in name, but not disciples of Jesus, who is Lord, is the great problem of the church today. That's the problem. That discipleship has become optional, except for the most radical among us, is disastrous. Not only because it perpetuates the idea that Jesus can be your Savior without being your Lord, but perhaps more importantly, because it assumes that grace is given to accept us as we are, but has no bearing on who or what we become. Again, ouch. Whew. Sorry, church. <laughs> it's a heavy sermon, isn't it? I knew it was going to be, and I've been praying about today's message. Because I, 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 there's hope in this. Great hope for all of us. But, but I feel like I, I have to get through all of this so that I can share with you what we want to do here at Mission Church to move forward in all that we're doing. You see, there's the big problem right there in front of us, right? That so, for so many people, discipleship has become optional. That's what he said. And it's not if we're going to call Jesus Lord. See, the big problem, the real problem, is that <laughs> discipleship is hard. Right? Can, can I get an amen? Discipleship is hard in the church because there's a cost to it. There's a cost to discipleship. There's a book that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote called The Cost of Discipleship, right? And again, he nails this. Dead center. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German philosopher and he wrote the book The Cost of Discipleship. And, and what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did was he pitted the cost of discipleship with the cost of not discipling people. That optional piece. 
What's the cost of discipleship? And what does it cost the church when we don't disciple? <laughs> and so what, what he did was he compared what grace looks like in light of that. And he said, grace, church, can be something so rich and real or it can be something really cheap if we don't count the cost. And so he talked about what cheap grace looks like. And he said this, what is it? The, the thing about grace that's cheap, <laughs> cheap grace is, is preaching forgiveness without true repentance. Preaching forgiveness without mourning for the things that we have done. That's cheap grace. Cheap grace is, is baptism without transformation without saying, Jesus has changed me. I've been brought from death to life and I'm going to show people this in my life and make it a testimony so that when I'm dumped under water, I'm buried with Christ and when I come out of it, I'm a new creation in Christ and there's a transformation that has happened in my life. And if that doesn't happen and we just go baptize people, that's cheap grace, he says. Cheap grace is communion that we take every month without confession of knowing that I am a sinner saved by grace. And these elements right here, this is what has saved me. And I recognize that. And I'm deeply grateful for it, Jesus. Because your broken body and your shed blood is what gives me life and forgiveness. And that's grace. If all we do is just take communion and say, and forget about it and not remember one single thing about it till next month when we come in. That's cheap grace. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. And I kind of agree with that. Cheap grace, he says, is grace without discipleship. Where it's optional. That's cheap grace. He says costly grace the antithesis to this, the other side of this costly grace calls for us to follow Jesus beyond our comforts and our conveniences. To follow Jesus when it's not comfortable and it's not convenient. But to follow Jesus because when we come to the table of communion, we see the sacrifice that he has made for us. That's the cost of grace, costly grace. It's costly because it compels us to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow Him. To submit to the yoke of Christ and follow Him. That's the cost part of it. But the grace part of it is found when Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh. Costly grace, church, is something that I pray we begin to lean into because that's where we find life. And it's found in the familiar quote. In fact, the, the real quote that, that 
is, is what makes the book The Cost of Discipleship what it is. And it's right there on your screen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, That is discipleship. That's the cost of discipleship. When, when, when Jesus calls you, he calls you to come and die. Strong words, church. Uncomfortable words. Inconvenient words. But hear me when I say this to you. Very unoriginal words. That's not original. You know who said that before Dietrich did? Jesus said the exact same thing in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 where he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. That's Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer just changed the words. But and that's very unoriginal. It's a str- These are hard words, strong words, inconvenient words. And this is the original source of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's great quote from his book, the cost of discipleship. It's right here. Luke 9.23. And the cost of being a disciple of Jesus is right there. To deny yourself. To take up your cross daily. And follow Jesus. You know what the cost of being a disciple is? It's to follow the example that Jesus left for you. I say this all the time. I'll say it again. The reason why I love Jesus so much is because He never asked us to do anything that he himself didn't first do. Right? Think about it. What does Jesus tell you to do? Love your enemies and pray for them when he's hanging on the cross? What is he doing? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When he tells his disciples that you should wash one another's feet, he only says that after he's gotten down and washed the feet of his own disciples. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's what I am? Well, now me, your teacher, is telling you to do what I've just done for you. And then Jesus says these words. If you want to be my disciple, then you need to take up your cross and follow me. And what did Jesus do when he was betrayed, falsely accused, beaten to a pulp by the Roman soldiers, he was made to take up his cross. And so the phrase, take up your cross, really means exactly what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Come and die. Come and die. But Jesus says, to yourself. To your selfishness. Self-centeredness. Self-reliance selfish ambition to die to all of that so that we can submit our self to the will of God. And by doing so, we become disciples of Jesus because we don't do our own will. We do the will of God. See, the recognition of Jesus being Lord is that we become more and more and more like Him. 
and less and less and less like ourselves. And that's why he said to deny yourself as the first thing. That means not my will, but God's will be done. Because the biggest battle, wouldn't you agree, is how you like things done. I like things done my way. Don't you? Right? There's two ways to do things. My way, that's number one. And the second, you choosing to do things my way. That's the best way. And that's how we love to live our lives. But discipleship calls us to live our lives by surrendering my way to God's way. And that is how Jesus lived. He said, I don't come to do things on my own. I am coming to do things for the will of my Father. And then we take what Jesus says and go back all the way to the the verse that John read for us when we began our service today in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Hear the words of the Lord one more time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does what? The will of my Father, not mine. Who does the will of my Father who is in heaven? When Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, come and die, right? he's talking about us taking up the cross daily as Jesus took up his cross when the Roman soldiers forced him to carry it. It's an invitation to die to our our own selfish desires, self-centeredness, our own self-reliance so that we can be fully made in the likeness of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 and 39, Jesus says this again. He reiterates it. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In losing ourselves, we get to gain the fullness of all that God has for us. Isn't that good news? That's the good news part. We should all be saying amen to this. I know today's a tough teaching. It's heavy. It's hard. I hear you. I feel it too. But this is the hope that we have. That when we live according to what the, the values of Jesus is, making him Lord of our lives, we actually gain life. We have the life that God intended for us to live. And so, here at Mission Church, we want to go about doing just that. Right? We want, to, we want to help people. We want to help every single person that calls this church their home church to live with Jesus being Lord. To being disciples of Jesus. Not optional. Very inconvenient. But 100% the will of God. Mm, that's good. And so, I want you to know, this is how it all came about. About a year and a half ago, 
right here in this area in the sanctuary. When I first became the pastor here, I met with the church board and the church staff, and we had a powwow. You know what a powwow is? <laughs> we had, a, we had a, a, a strategic meeting about who, and we decided, who are we? Because I wanted to know that. I was new here. Who are we? And where do we want to, who do we want to become? Those are great questions. And we broke up into groups of about five or six, and we sat on four or five different tables, and, and we did a good evaluation of, of who we are, the good and the bad. And then, who do we want to be? And that was all good. We want to be good, right? And one of the things, well, a lot of the things that, that we said who we want to be, we've been working on it over the past year and a half. Some words like, we, we want to be more authentic. And so we've been working on authenticity in our church. We wanted to build a bridge from our church to the preschool. And I see our preschool families and and teachers here, and we say, you are an answer to prayer. Praise God for you. And you know what? Because we identified it, we're doing it. One of the other things they they said is, Pastor, we we need to find ways to, to deeply engage in prayer. And so we have been doing that. I'm going to just say this one more time. I'm plugging it again. Sunday mornings, if you have nothing to do at 8 a.m., then come to church at 8 a.m. and join us for prayer because this place is set apart for prayer in the morning. We gather, we pray. Every seat that you're sitting in has been prayed for this morning. And and you know what my prayer is? Lord, fill the empty chairs. (laughs) Right? But in every chair that's filled, your Holy Spirit speak loudly into the hearts and lives of these people. That's my prayer. As I walk through the rows on Sunday morning, and there's a team of us that do that. Over the doorways, we pray, God, everybody that enters the sanctuary, may they feel and sense your presence. We go to the parking lot and we pray over the parking lot and say, Lord, fill this parking lot with people that don't know you. We need your help. Come and join us. That's vital. And then Angie Serrano, at noon tomorrow, she'll lead a group of prayer on Zoom. And then Tuesday morning at 8.30, another one on Zoom. And then 6.30 in the morning, right here on Wednesday, there's about a group of 15 to 20 people that gather to pray. And on that one, is super special. You know why? We pray for nothing except to honor and worship and glorify God. We don't ask God for hardly anything. Have you ever prayed that way? It's so wonderful. The church said, we need to pray more, pastor. So you know what we've been doing? We've been, we've been pro- providing opportunities for all the things that we want to be. And you know what? There's great fruit in coming from that. Oh my goodness. The church has grown in so many powerful ways. And one of the things, though, that came about from those meetings that we have not done yet, which is why I'm preaching today's sermon, is this. It says... Pastor, we need to have an intentional discipleship plan in our church. And since I've been here, I, we've not had that. Intentional. Where, where we have a plan for discipleship. And discipleship is happening, by the way. Just want you to know. It's just not intentional. And sometimes it's good. And sometimes it's awful. And the good ones is when we study God's word and and we grow and learn, and that's discipleship. But the awful ones are that when, (laughs) and this doesn't happen here, but 
when we bring our children, because maybe there's no children's workers or anything like that, we take a coloring book and we ask our kids to go color while we talk about Jesus. Do you know that that's discipleship? You're teaching your kids what to do. And I don't want my kids coloring a coloring book when they could be talking about Jesus with us as well. And so, we're going to start an intentional discipleship plan that includes everyone. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment. The second thing on that list, by the way, if you want to see the list, it's in my office. I have it from a year and a half ago. Still on my wall because this is still yet to be done. The second thing on there, it says, to, we want to have a purposeful intergenerational community building event or to, 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 to build community in an intergenerational way. I think that's a good way to say it. And we don't do that. We are an excellent intergenerational church, right? We have from college students to children. I mean, we're all here. But what kind of community are we building? We're, we're great in our silos, right? But are we getting to know one another and building community that way? The answer is no. And you know what? As the pastor, I take full responsibility for that. That's why I'll take full responsibility. So as we move forward, we as a church can be a church that sees Jesus as Lord because we all are working on becoming his disciples with a purposeful, intentional way of making disciples and doing it intergenerationally. So, if you have in your worship folders this brochure right here, you can find it. If not, it's so easy to, to find a copy of this. Just go outside or I'll just hold it up for you. The name of what we want to start, which will take place on Wednesday nights, is Discipleship Communities at Mission Church. Everybody say, repeat after me, Discipleship Communities at Mission Church. Discipleship communities. <sighs> That's a mouthful, isn't it? When you start talking to other people about Discipleship Communities of Mission Church, you should get involved with Discipleship Communities at Mission Church. That's a lot. So, I said, let's make it shorter. We'll call it dish.com. Everybody say dish.com. Doesn't that just roll off your tongue? Beautiful, huh? And you notice our, our logo here? Discipleship, that's the dish. Dot. The, the com is communities. With the last M being the logo of our church. Which means this is discipleship communities at Mission Church. Okay? That's what, that's what it means. And this brochure will tell you everything, not everything, but all about it. But I want to just highlight a couple of things because you're all wondering what this is, how this looks like, and how it will work. And so here's the skinny, uh, you know. This is going to be the Wednesday night discipleship at Mission Church. This will involve families joining together. We will not have programming for our children or teens that's separate from what we're going to do here. Okay? This is going to be 10 weeks long. That's it, for now. And we're going to do an evaluation and see how it goes. And I will say this right off the top, because I know this to be true. <laughs> Everyone will hate this. It's true. It's true. Our kids are not going to like it. Oh, Mom, I don't want to be there. 
the youth who are on retreat, they're going to go, what? I don't want to do that. And then our adults will say, you mean we've got to be with kids? <laughs> Everybody's going to hate it. I got it out of the way. Until, until you gather together and you start building loving relationships, strong, beautiful, and healthy relationships with people that you never would have had you not been a part of this. And this is the way that church has always meant to be. Not us meeting in our silos, not knowing our children or our teens or our young adults, just being with our friends. You know? For 10 weeks, we're just going to ask you to join together and this is going to be built around a meal. Because that's what we do on Wednesday nights, right? And isn't that where you get to know people the best? When you sit around a table. And as I, as I look across the church, there have been some people that I've got to experience dinner with and go to your house. Don and Pamela, you guys invited us to your house to have dinner. Wasn't that great to sit down and build this relationship together? Right? By the way, this is a... Uh, 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 an advertisement for inviting me over to dinner. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I've had dinner, dinners with many people. right? When, when we've sat down and, and have a meal together, you get to know me, and I get to know you, and it's unpretentious, and you get to know about my family. And so on Wednesday nights, we have dinners. And you know what? In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, He said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come in and what? I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. I'm here to begin this relationship with you so that you can be my disciple. And when we eat together, we will laugh together, we will, we will share together, we will grow together. And the beautiful part is that this won't just take place on Wednesday nights. That's when we'll meet. But throughout the week, there'll be a a daily reading plan that we've already mapped out. And a, a grid by which we, a lens by which we look into Scripture. It will be discovering the Christology of who Jesus is, as well as looking at the mission of our church, which I know very few of you know right now by heart. Right? Authentically love God, humbly serve one another, and intentionally share Christ. So every time we come to Scripture, we will look through those lens and we will see who in the Bible is authentically loving God or who is not. And we make note of that. Who in the Bible, in the passage that we read, humbly served others and who has not? Who in the Bible has, has, has uh, intentionally shared Christ and who has not? And where in the scripture do we find a name of Jesus that describes who he is that we can interact with? And what does that mean? And then we do this as a family, Becca and Jeff, that, that your kids, you will gather them at night and, and you'll read the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together. And then you'll have that little grid on paper and says, hey, in, in Luke chapter 7 that we just read, what did you see? Who, who authentically loved God? And then, and then Cooper will say, you know, Dad, I think, and then he'll share his answer. Then when we come together on Wednesday night at dish.com and we start talking about the Bible, 
You know what you can do? Say, hey, Cooper, remember the night we were talking about this verse? Can you share who you saw intentionally shared Christ? And Cooper go, oh, that was. And we get our children involved in reading the Bible together with us, coming to a group of people that maybe, and I'll just look around the church and say, you know, uh, Diane, you're in that group as well. You know, and Sherry, you're in that group as well. And, and Cooper gets to share what he's learned from the Bible with you. Right? And Randy, you're in that group too. And Randy, as a, 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 a mentor maybe one day of him, can talk about how his experience of intentionally sharing Christ has shaped him. And Cooper can learn. And do. That, that's, to me... This is what church was always meant to be. And so, there's a lot here, right? What is dish.com? How is it going to be structured? It's going to be on Wednesdays. We're going to make dinner every Wednesday. You can come and eat. And it does cost $5, but again, if you're a college student, just bring your meal pass and wave it and walk in. <laughs> we just want everybody to be a part of this. You know why? so we can be disciples of Jesus and make him Lord. We can grow together, learn together, share together. We'll sit down and have a meal so we can get to know one another. And the way you sign up is right back here. You go to the website of the church or you just snap this QR code. It takes you right to the page. You sign up. And you know what you sign up with? Your name and what time you want reservations for dinner. That's it. Right? And if you say, if, this is the best part. If you have children that need to be in bed by 7.30, then sign up for the 5.30 slot. And I promise you, your kids will be in bed by 7.30. You know why? You're not waiting for our children's department or our youth department to get done. You're in the group with them. And the you, you eat together, you discuss things. When you're done, you take your kids home. To, they're home by 7.30. Well, I can't make it at 5.30, Pastor, because I work till 6. Well, then come later at 6.30. Just mark your reservation. And then when, when people fill up the reservations, we'll see. Here's all the people that want to sit at 5.30. We'll form you into groups. And we'll put a, a facilitator, leader with you. And every week for 10 weeks, you will gather together and build significant relationships with each other. And you know, college students, and I know you come from not just Point Loma. We have, we have UCSD students, Grossmont students, San Diego State students. We have all of you here. You're all welcome to come so that you can get to know the people that you worship alongside. Because outside of something like this, you'll never get to know them. And they want to know you. Trevor, weren't you telling your mom that one of the best things about this church is that people want to get to know me? Right? That's what you said. And we do. And we're finding ways to make that happen. And so over... So, pray about this. Because the most important thing to me, and the reason why I preached this tough message today, wasn't so you could sign up for this. This is just a tool that helps us to get to being a disciple of Jesus so we can make him Lord. Because then we will be shaped by that. Jesus' story will be our story. The values of God will become our values. 
because we're talking about them every week, even with our children, will bear fruit for the kingdom. And in the end, we will hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. The last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he went to heaven was this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely, I will be with you to the very end of the age. That's the Great Commission. You all know that. We just want to live it. Sign up so that we can do this together. Seriously. And if you're, if you're okay to serve as a leader, say, you know what, Pastor Gordon, I can facilitate this. I, I, can, I can lead a group. Then in the website, there's a comment box. Hey, Pastor, I can be a leader. And let me know. And we're going to gather all these things up. And when 100% of the church signs up <laughs> and gets involved, we'll have enough leaders. We'll know what times. We'll, we'll prepare all the food. We have a great menu in store. So much good there. But all this will be nothing if we make discipleship optional. And it's not. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, whoo! Today, I, I, today's sermon was tough because I, we had to get to the place where we talk about the cost of discipleship. But what I didn't even talk about was the cost of not being discipled because that's where the church pretty much is. And this is what's happening to our world. And God, we need you to intervene intervene into our own lives to help us count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of yours. Because we know that it will be inconvenient. And if it is, then it's doing its job. You never, ever meant for our faith journey to be convenient. And Lord, remind us that if we choose not to do anything, then that's exactly what will happen. Nothing will change. Make us uncomfortable enough to decide that this is something we want to do. And not just want, but we need to do. Move us, Lord God, into the places where we will be so burdened that all we want to do is your will and not mine. In this moment right here, my prayer that we would surrender that, Lord, to you because that is what begins the process of discipleship. If anyone would be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus, help us to be your disciples today, we pray.